so this last session is pursuing God in community. Uh, and anybody that knows me, you've been around the church long enough, you know how important community is to me. You know, this is one of the core values of the church. Um, you know, we have three core values, community, discipleship, and creativity. Uh, if you're wondering, like, why did we play a murder mystery all weekend? That's because one of our values is creativity, and that was a very creative way for us to get to know one another and just have a little bit extra fun. Um, and then discipleship, you know, that's why we asked Peter to preach on the word and prayer, because this is what grows us as disciples. Uh, and community is what we're ending this off on, because uh, we can learn as much as we want to learn. You know, God can give us some special moments, but I hope what you learned today before we leave, that if you do not do this with other people, uh, then you are just going to fail. And that is the end of the story. Uh, I have done this on my own before, and I have failed on my own. And it is, uh, you know, we're going to read some scripture together where uh, the Bible makes this clear that this is not a journey alone that we take. Uh, It was never meant to be a journey alone that we take, and it's um, and it's designed to not be a journey that we take alone. Uh, and so the, the very first place I want to start is just the definition of church. Uh, you know, Peter was talking last night about words, you know, and how words are important. And the more that you read the Bible, the more you begin to learn about certain words and what they mean. You know, for instance, he said the actual, the word of God, the Logos, has a special meaning, has a special contextual understanding of how the Greeks saw that, how the Hebrews saw that. Well, the word church is the word ecclesia, and there's a special meaning and there's a special context behind that. You know, we throw around the word church. You know, a lot of people have different English meanings of the word. Sometimes to people it means I'm going to church, means I'm going to a building or a place like this. You know, we would call this a place. Some people say I'm a part of a church, which is, you know, like a a people like this. The word ecclesia, literally when God was, uh, when Jesus said he was building his church, he was calling it the ecclesia, and that was a ruling body, you know, because we were now becoming heirs with him and his new kingdom. Uh, But the part that I want to focus on is the body part that uh, you, you know, there's there's this misconception out there that uh, you and it's your relationship is just you and God. It's just you and God. And I hear this all the time because a lot of people have been dissatisfied with the church, the established church. Uh, And so because of that dissatisfaction, you know, they maybe have been a part of the church. You know, there's the the a lot of things in the abuse of the Catholic Church that keeps on coming out, like has hurt society. And society says, well, our 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 push away from the establishment uh, is that, well, we're not going to go to church. It's just going to I'm going to have church by myself uh, with God. And, you know, we see a lot of kind of change that God is doing in the world about leadership and what it means to be part of an establishment. And what has happened is a lot of people say, uh, now I don't want to be part of an establishment. And so this saying has come up that uh, it's a relationship, not a religion. Uh, And I have a lot of problems with that saying. um, Because when people say it's a relationship, it's not a religion. And I've been... uh, at fault of saying this myself, I would say. Uh, 
uh, is what they're saying is it's just between me and God. Uh, it doesn't, I don't have to do this with others. And that's the, the heart of really what people are saying when it comes to that. When the truth of the matter is, is it is a relationship and a religion. Uh, that this is a relationship, personal relationship between me and Jesus, but it is also an established body, the ecclesia that God has created, that we are called to walk through together, that we are not supposed to do this alone. So it is, yes, a relationship, and yes, it is a religion. This is um, something that we are supposed to do together, that God has established an order of things uh, for our own good, for our own help. Uh, and John Wesley uh, said this about the church. You know, some of you have already heard me say this, that the church is a whore, but she is still my mother. Uh, and what that means is, <laughs> it's a great line. That means is a lot of times the church or the establishment of the church is not going to be perfect. You know, there's going, and the reason for that is, is because the church, us, we are the bride of Christ. We are still humans. We are not in our perfect state yet. But that does not mean that we separate from the body, um, but it means that we give grace and forgive just like Jesus has given grace and forgiven us. Uh, And so we have to understand that this is not, this was never meant to be something that we do alone. When Jesus was establishing the church, the word choice that he chose of what the church actually was, was all very important in how we need to understand our Christianity. You know, the New Testament was letters literally written to the church. There's only a couple of letters written to singular people. But for the most part, the letters, the epistles, were written to entire church congregations where uh, a lot of times when we read through the letters, we kind of name and claim the things that were written to the church congregation as an individual thing for myself. But we need to understand that these were letters written to the church. You know, it may have been the, 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 the church in Ephesus or the church in Colossae or all of this, but these were not written, for the most part, to individual people. These were written to the church. And in Revelation, we see that Jesus has seven letters for the different, there's seven different churches that he speaks to. And this is how God speaks. He speaks to us through the church. And what we, what happens is when we isolate ourselves, we are isolating ourselves a lot of times from what God wants to do and God's speaking into our life. Um, and there's an important kind of theological understanding that we need to come to uh, about what it means to be a Christian, to follow God, right? As Peter said, belief is that word commit to Jesus, that if, if our commitment to Jesus is only changing our relationship with God, but not changing our relationship with other people, then there's a faulty practice in our belief of God, because the greatest commandment is what? To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, but also to love thy neighbor. There is, and that is repeated over and over again. When Jesus establishes the church, he establishes the ecclesia. When Paul goes around and starts planting churches, what is he, he, he plants communities of people that go together and follow the word as a body together. This is not something that we are meant to do alone. And so I'm, I'm hammering this point home because the, a lot of times we will try to accomplish everything that we learned this weekend and everything that God did this weekend by ourselves. We're going to go home and we're going to say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to 
you know, I, I'm, I'm going to pray more, or I'm going to read the Bible more, or I'm going to just, I'm going to do better, I'm going to be more obedient. Those are all good thoughts. But if we don't include other people into that practice of our life, and we'll talk about different ways and what's important about that, then we're going to be missing a big portion of how we are actually supposed to play out what God wants us to do as the church. So church is family, right? Church is family. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, it says, while he was still speaking to the people, Jesus, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So when we understand that this is Jesus's idea of who is now our family, who are the people that we are supposed to walk with? Like this is literally supposed to be a family of believers where we look at each other. Every letter, how is it written? My brothers and sisters. You know, if you have, if your translation just says brothers and it's a good Bible, they'll have a little note there. And you look at the bottom at the note and it says this can also be translated as brothers and sisters. There's very few instances where it's actually only speaking to men when it says that. And so we have to understand that we are literally a family. Like we are supposed to see each other as a brother in the Lord, as a sister in the Lord. When somebody comes and says, Jesus, here's your biological mother and here's your biological brothers. And they're trying to get some special treatment from him. He says, who, who is my sister? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? But those who do the will of God. And that is how we, Zion, is supposed to see each other here, that we are family, that we are brothers and sisters, right? That we are people that care for one another. We are people that walk through life with one another, that we are in each other's lives, whether we like it or not. Like that, that's family, right? Like we, we have to do these functions together because we are family. We were born into the situation. We can't change it. And so we go through that together. And that is, that is what the church is supposed to be like, a place where we find those relationships that even in the inconvenient times, even in the hard times, even in the I don't want to times, it's like, oh, but that's my brother. Oh, that's my sister. That's, that's family, though, so... You know, I'm going to do it. We have to understand this idea of church that Jesus had was the idea of family, the the family unit. And it's important for us to see each other as a family, because if we don't see each other as brother or sister, we're not going to go that extra mile to lay down our life for one another as brother and sister. The church is also described as a body. I'm going to read a, a longer passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says this, he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all of the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. So he's using the metaphor of an actual physical body. And he gets a little deep into this metaphor. You'll see that in a second. Um, For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, meaning doesn't matter your ethnicity, you're part of the body. Slaves or free, doesn't matter your class, your, your financial status, you're part of the body. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, 
but of many. Right? We don't call this whole thing a hand or something like that. There is many members of the body. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So he's saying, you can say you're not part of the church all you want. Right? You can say, right, the foot can say, well, I don't care. I'm not part of the body. It doesn't matter what the foot thinks or what the foot wants because the foot is part of the body. And what will happen if the foot gets cut off from the body? The foot will die. And if the ear should say, because I am not in, if the, eye, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So what's happening here is the context of this passage is Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how everybody are given different gifts of the Spirit to participate in one, in one body. But this metaphor of the body is really important because we have to understand that in order to function properly, we have to see ourselves as one body. That we are... The, the foot cannot function with the, without the entire body. The ear cannot function without the entire body. The, if, if the eye is plucked out, there is nothing for it to see through, right? It, it, it loses who it is. And that's how we need to view the church in our life. If we are taken away from the family, if we do not participate in the family and are part of the family, then we lose our function. We literally will, will slowly die because we are not part of the life-sustaining force that God has made for us to participate and have life through, right? The body is called the bride of Christ. That's, that's who we are together. Collectively, this is who we are. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there would be no division in the body, and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one... Did this go out? Probably. All right, you don't need this anymore. Huh? I think the battery died. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this is that what we were talking about, what we talked about in James, um, where James says, let the lowly brother rejoice and let the brother that is on top, let him be humbled. And this is how it is in the body. And Paul uses uh, the same kind of metaphors that this is how it is in the kingdom of God, that we are all one, that the ones that are lowly, God gives more honor and the ones that are high, God humbles. But we all suffer together and we all rejoice together when one is honored. Why? Because we are one body. 
Uh, and we have to understand that if we are really going to go through this Christian walk together, if we're really going to be able to participate in the things that God has for us, that we cannot cut ourselves off from the body. We can't do life in isolation. Thank you, Ralph. And if we try to live a life in isolation, um, well, it just, we either die or we're fooling ourselves, as Paul says, the ear cannot say that I do not need you. So how do we grow in community from here? There's two things that are really important, and I'm jumping ahead in our series in James, and we're not going to cover everything here, but there's just two points that I want to cover in James 5. One is confession. There's two things that I really want to nail home. One is confession. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. It is your job to find somebody to confess to. Confess your sins to one another. We have to take responsibility on ourselves. You know, I grew up in a, a culture where I never confessed if nobody asked. Like, if you don't ask, I don't tell. <laughs> and that's just basically how it was. But God had to deal with my heart that, Justin, that's not true. Like, it is not another person's responsibility to ask you how you're doing all the time. It is your responsibility to go and tell somebody, hey, bro, I am struggling. Hey, sis, I am struggling with this. Because that, I'm telling you, that is like the the greatest excuse. Well, nobody asked how I'm doing, so I'm just not telling you. Like, you know, I'm going to keep on tiptoeing around this and keep on doing this. And as long as nobody finds out, you know, like maybe God won't find out either and we'll be okay with one another. But that is not how it works. It says, confess your sins to one another. Now, if you've ever been a part of just confessing your sin to somebody and that was the end of it, that's not good. Uh, Because the scripture is clear here. It says, confess your sin to one another and then what? Pray for one another. And so what you need to do from here is you need to find what, you know, in church we like to call it accountability partners. Uh, But find people in your life that you trust. You know, I wouldn't go to just like 15 different people at random and start confessing all of your sin to them. Uh, because you never know, like, who has your, you know, who has your interest in mind. You got to find people that you're comfortable with. Find people that you trust. Go to them and just say, yo. And, and don't make it like, I'm not going to confess to you unless you confess to me. Okay? Because that happens a lot, too. It's like, all right, let's see who's worse on the scale. And maybe if you say something worse, I'll say something worse. And then you'll say, you know. And, and eventually we'll get to the deepest and darkest stuff. Like, I've been through all the types of accountability partners you can possibly imagine. But ultimately, God. God has led me to this one place that I just need to find people in my life that I can be 100% honest with. Whether they are doing crappy or not, doesn't matter what I am going to confess to them about my life. I have been in scenarios where it's like, you know, my, my brother I'm talking to is like, yo, I'm doing great right now. It's just been like, this is one of the best times of my life. And then I'm telling Well, you know, sorry to bring the conversation down, but like this is what I'm going through, X, Y, and Z. You just got to find people that you can do that with, where, you know, no matter what you bring to their table, what they're going to say is not like, oh, you're a jerk, you're an idiot, like, God hates you, you're going to hell now. You don't want people like that in your life. When you bring confession, the natural response should be from your brother or sister, 
Let's pray. Let's pray. If we have a community that is all about fun, but never about confession and prayer, then we are missing community and the pursuit of God through it. We must come to a place that we can have real, honest conversations with one another and say, hey, listen, I know we had a lot of fun and it was it was good. Look, I'm all for fun. I'm all for meals together. I'm all for these different things. But if at some point they don't begin to go beneath the surface, then what is the point? We got the Vigos in the back like, hey, yes. (laughs) All of the things that we do on the surface help us so that we can figure out who can I go beneath the surface with. I have have my friends that I've had meals with, that I hang out with, and eventually I realize, okay, this is a safe space for me to dive in now. On the other side of that spectrum, sometimes we're a little too closed off, and people have burned us in the past. And so we say, you know what? I'm not going to confess anymore because I did it to this one person, and then they gossiped about me. And in that place, we need to find forgiveness, as Jesus says. You know, a lot of people have been asking me questions about forgiveness and this seems harsh, but this is the only thing that I can continually remember is the words of Jesus. If you do not forgive, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. And so whenever people ask me about forgiveness, that is, that is honestly the only verse that comes to mind every single time is like, it's going to be hard. It's going to stink. You know, I, the things that people have done to offend us and to sin against us have been many, long, and very, very rough. But ultimately... It is not on the other person that forgiveness needs to land on whether they say sorry or not. It, the onus is put on us. And so if people have offended us in the past, if we've talked to, we forgive them, but we cannot let that jade our understanding of community for the rest of our life because we will be missing out on much of what God has for us in community. A lot of the growth that needs to happen, a lot of the growth that we need to experience And guess what? You know how a lot of times how God humbles me? God humbles me because I'm thinking too proudly about myself. And I think, well, if I tell this person, they're going to start thinking differently about me. If I talk to this person about my failures, then they're not going to think, oh, you know, this guy, he's, you know, I got a lot of things. He's a pastor, all of this other stuff. Like they're going to not want it to happen. They're going to say, oh, you know, why is Justin preaching? It's not good. Mike, can you talk to them? There's going to be all these things that people say. And they're not going to look at me the same way anymore. Thank you. And they're not going to want, right, that we have all these thoughts. All the time that people will look at us differently, people will see us differently, and that stops us up. And at the end of the day, what that is is pride. That is pride saying, I want to be looked at one way, and that is the only way that I want to be looked at. And we refuse to humble ourselves. And so what happens in our life when that happens? Then it's God's job to humble us. 
And let me tell you something. If I have to pick between I am going to be humble or God is going to humble me, then I am going to pick the other side every single time because God humbling me is not fun. I've been there, done that, learned my lesson, and it's over. Not going to happen again. But sometimes we need him to do that. Right? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so in our confessing relationships, we can't, there's a million excuses that the enemy will put in your mind and he will lie to you and say, well, they're going to judge you. They're going to look differently at you. And you know what? Okay, fine that they judge me, but I could care less what people think about me on this earth as long as I am good with the father. And that's the point I've had to come to, that if people will look at me weird, if people will look at me differently in my confession, then so be it, because I know I need this. Why? To be healed. It is more important to be healed of the sins in my life. It is more important to walk with Jesus coming in and mending the wounds of my heart than it is to carry the burden of sin every single day. to confess. And the people that I have confessed to that don't want to pray with me, I've stopped confessing to them. But I find people that when I confess and I, and I tell you my sin, you better be ready to pray with me because brother, sister, I need it right now. Like I'm telling you this because I'm going through it and I need you with me. And so when we walk away from here, there's going to be confession like, hey, I made a decision to pray more. And I, I literally, I have, it's been three weeks and I haven't prayed once outside of, you know, mumbling and my breath on the train ride to work. <laughs> right, I, I haven't taken time in my room alone and said, I'm giving you this portion of my evening or this portion of my morning and I'm going to be with you. And, you know, it's going to be embarrassing to say, like, I told five people how much I'm going to pray all week, you know, and then here's a month later and I haven't prayed once. And now that has become sin in my life because I'm putting other things before God and I need to confess that to somebody. And maybe I even told people, yo, my prayer life has been great since the retreat. And now I got to confess that my prayer life is not great since the retreat. Like I've been lying to everybody trying to make it seem like exactly. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I have decided um, a little while ago that I would, what I call, I would live through what I would call radical honesty or radical confession. Um, That every thought, every temptation that I deal with, every action that is sinful, I will share with somebody. So I found two people in my life that I have regular scheduled conversations with that they will know every dark thought Indeed, that I do. No matter what it is, they will know about it. And I have found that that is the that is part of the equation for me to walk in holiness. It's not the only thing because there's lots of other things that God has been that does in my life to help me walk that way. But I know that radical confession is the first step always. Scheduled radical confession. And you know what? If the person doesn't ask, I still tell. Every single time. And I've had to go back weeks later and say, hey, remember three weeks ago when I, I said I was good? I lied to you. Those are the worst confessions. Do you ever have those confessions? Like, 
Yeah, I, I told you that this wasn't an issue anymore, and I know we talked two times since, and this is three or four weeks later now, but it's been like I, can't, I, I cannot live a life in the darkness. I have to live a life in the light, and this is what I've been struggling with. You know what? Some of those relationships that I have is not a two-way street. The other person doesn't tell me anything about their life. And I don't care, honestly, because this is not a competition of who could be worse or me feeling better about myself. This is for me to get prayer and healing. And you need those relationships in your life. You can't only have the ones where you feel like it's a two-way street. I have another relationship. It is. We share and we build each other up. But I have another one where it's like, I don't know. I... And honestly, I could care less. <laughs> if he wanted to confess, I would pray for him. But that's, I just thank God that somebody's willing to hear all my crap and be able to pray through it with me. So it's our job to confess and to pray. But then in verse 19, James says this. says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We're going to talk about what that last part means when I get up to chapter 5 in James. We're going to talk about the first part right now. If anyone, so it's your job when you are, when it comes to confession, but it's collectively everyone's job to do the bringing back. If we see somebody who is a brother or a sister and they are walking away from the faith, you see that they are in sin, that they are not confessing. You see somebody like, oh, man, I know that clubbing isn't good for this person and they're clubbing. Drinking isn't good for this person and they're drinking. Smoking isn't good for this person and they're smoking again. Like they're, they're creeping back to their old patterns. Hanging out with this person was destruction in their life. And I see that they're sneaking around with that person again. And so. Right. If, if, if we are true brothers and sisters, guess what? We go to that person and we take them and we bring them back. That is what family does. We do not let each other go into sin that leads to death. But we catch that. And this is this is one of my pet peeves that I didn't even write this one down, but it is coming out right now, which is people thinking that they are rats. Right. There, there is there is a there are people who are rats. That they just trying to tell and gossip about anybody and anything. But then there are times when people are falling away. And when you keep your mouth shut, you are keeping that burden of that person on yourself. When you are supposed to go and tell that person's leaders and people who care about them and say, listen, I saw this person doing this. Why? Not because you are gossiping about them, not because you you want to hurt them, because you love them so much that you are seeing that they are walking into destruction. You they are walking into death. And it is our responsibility as a church to go and bring them back and say, I love you. I don't care how much you hate me for this. I've gone to people's homes and rang their bell because they won't answer my calls and say, I know you're not answering my call right now because you're falling into this again. Come on, let's go pray. That's the kind of community that we are called to be, that we do not just say, oh, that person hasn't been here for a few weeks. Uh, Maybe they're struggling. Hopefully I see them again. See what happens. 
anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, what? You will receive reward for that. It is our job as a community to look out for one another. There's the personal responsibility of I need to live a life of confession and prayer with others so that I can be healed. But then there is a collective responsibility that if somebody here is wandering away, that we are going to do everything that we can, that we are going to take responsibility upon ourselves and we are going to chase after them, that we will be like the good shepherd who left the 99 to chase after the one who was lost and put that sheep on his back so that he can bring him back. That has to be our heart towards our brothers and our sisters in the church. And when we see that people are falling away, if we can't address it with them or our addressing is not working, then what do we do? We bring other people along with us. Bring five or ten people. I don't care what the intervention takes, but we need to make it happen. Because this is the salvation of their soul that we're talking about. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven and hell. And too many people I've seen walk away and their friends willingly let them go. In fact, sometimes encourage them. Oh, you're, you're drinking again? Cool, let's go out to a bar and drink. When you know that that person has struggled with alcoholism in their life. And so we're helping, we're, we're leading them into the destruction instead of pulling them away and saying, you know what, I know the alcohol is bad for you. It's fine for me. I've never dealt with that, but I'm never going to drink around you again. That's a true brother or sister in the Lord that I will sacrifice. I will have a loss in my life because I care more about your eternity than I do about my simple pleasures. That is a collective community that looks out for one another. Paul says that we have freedom, right? And back then it wasn't drinking and all this other stuff. It was about what kind of food that they can eat. Because there was food that was offered to idols and some people that was messing with their conscience and said, Paul, Paul said, yeah, I can eat it. I just bless it. But guess what? People that it hinders, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to give that freedom up. Because this is about the body. This is not just about me and my pleasures in my life, but we look at Jesus as the ultimate one who sacrifices and we sacrifice as well. So if we are going to do this, we cannot do it alone. It's honestly unbiblical to do it alone. If you are not part of the body, not part of the church, not part, you're not part of the bride who Jesus is coming back for. And that's the truth. So when we walk away from here, there are two things that we need to walk away with understanding. The personal responsibility to confess and to pray. And the collective responsibility to find those who are struggling and bring them back. That if our brother or our sister is falling away and there's something that we know about, that we do everything that we can to go pull them. But if there's something going on in our life, then we have that responsibility to find someone that we can confess to. And say, you know what? It doesn't doesn't matter if you think differently about me. It doesn't matter if you have your worst sin to share with me. It doesn't matter. All of that stuff. What matters is that after I'm done, that we can pray together and that God begins the healing process in my life. I want that to stick. The two things that when we walk away from here that happens is 
Let us find people to confess to. And as a community, let's make sure that nobody walks away without everybody doing their part to do as much as we can to bring them back. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you did not call us to do this alone. I thank you, God, that you've created a family, Lord, that we can call brother and sister, mother and father, to go through life, that we are one body, God, and that you've designed it so that if we are apart from the body, that we will die. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would show us our place in the body. Lord, that if we think too highly of ourselves that we don't need it, I pray that you humble us. Lord, if we think too lowly of ourselves and don't think, Lord, that we have place in the body, I pray that you would uplift us. Lord, that we would see, Lord, your perfect design for the church, the ecclesia, Father, your body of people. And Lord, I pray that your conviction would come upon us to confess and to pray. Lord, the deep relationships maybe that were built this weekend or that have been built over the last year, two years in our church, Lord, that have never gone beyond the surface, I pray that that would change. Lord, and that we would begin confessing relationships, Lord, that lead us to prayer and point us back to you. Lord, I pray that we would not think nonchalantly of people walking away or falling into old patterns, God, but we would take it seriously, that we would intercede, that we would go and bring them back. Lord, and I pray that this would be the marks of true community in our church, not just the hanging out, not just the fun and the games, but Lord, the seriousness of family that you call us to.